All right, it's the last session. You've made it this far. It's always funny to watch throughout the weekend of like a come and go kind of retreat or conference like this. What it looks like Saturday night can be uh, very hit or miss, but I'm glad y'all stuck around. I hope that this weekend's been helpful for you guys. I hope you've enjoyed the breakouts, the teaching, the worship. Spencer, he's done a great job for us, uh, all that that entails. And so tonight we move into our, our final session. And so we've hit on kind of the invitation out of wandering. That's what RD spoke about. This consider your ways from probably the last uh, Bible Bible uh, book that you expected at a conference, Haggai, which is incredible. One of my favorite Old Testament books. Uh, then we had Devin who came in and he talked a little bit about this idea of personal devotion or, or, or personal worship. That was kind of his broad theme that I gave him. Uh, and then tonight we kind of hit on what what else is necessary in your formation to Jesus? So if uh, you've accepted the invitation into discipleship to Jesus and you begin to grow in your understanding and your likeness to Jesus um, through personal devotion, through your secret place with Jesus, what happens next? Or you could even say the songs that we just sang are true and because they're true, what happens next? And uh, tonight we're gonna be hitting on this idea of, uh, I guess if there was an overarching kind of theme uh, or one of the, the driving themes of tonight's message as I began to think through it this weekend. I've changed this talk three times in the last 48 hours, but uh, it would be, you are malnourished in your formation to Jesus if you're not living on mission. You are malnourished in your, in your formation to Jesus if you aren't living on mission. And so my hope tonight is to fan into flame the gift God has given you to live, to live in light of his mission. Um, and so to, to kick this thing off, I have a quick story. So it was New Year's Day, 2012. Uh, Brian Hughes, he was 20 years old at this point. Don't put the picture up yet, Grant. Uh, and I just finished my first and my last semester of Bible college at this point. Uh, that could be a story for its own time that I can share at another time of why it was one semester. Uh, but once a year, the church that I was a part of in my hometown, they would have a night where they uh, allowed a few college or high school, high school students who um, felt called to ministry to come and give a short sermon through the Sunday evening service. And so like I shared last night, I, I came to Christ senior year of high school in a independent fundamental Baptist church. So King James only, uh, you Sunday morning and Sunday evening service, Wednesday night service, uh, all, the, all the potlucks you could imagine, uh, unsweet tea, no sweet tea, it was weird. I don't know what that had to do with it. Uh, but uh, that was the church I came, I came to Christ in, and I, and I love that church, but they would do this once a year. And so I had been a Christian for about a year and a half at the, up to this point, maybe a year and a half, maybe less. Uh, and just a, about a semester earlier had surrendered to Jesus' call in my life to ministry. So I was fresh off of that. Um, but the pastor asked me and two other men to preach that evening, and he gave each of us 10 minutes. And so uh, 10 minutes now would seem like so fast. It's like you can't do anything in 10 minutes with a Bible passage. Uh, but uh, for 20-year-old Brian, fresh out of Bible college, one semester of it, uh, it felt like an eternity. And it felt terrifying to me. But I agreed to do it knowing it was an opportunity to grow as a, as a teacher of God's word and a, uh, a preacher and to fight against my natural tendency of stage fright. Or, or I would like to call it sta like stage anxiety that I still get to this day. Uh, 
but also it was just an opportunity to speak. And uh, <laughs> the truth is up to that point, all I'd really done when it came to preaching, quote unquote, was I, uh, I took an intro to preaching class in, in Bible college and I led a few small devotionals for like an upward basketball team. So that was kind of the, the, the experience that Brian had. So this was for me like a call up to the big leagues. I was like, oh my gosh. And it felt really weighty to me. Um, and the pastor said we could teach on whatever the Lord had laid on our, on our hearts. Two true fundamental independent Baptist uh, mindset. But I decided to preach on one of my points from a, a short sermon I'd given at Bible college that fall semester on the Holy Spirit in a message that I entitled, he, uh, The Holy Spirit, He is Not an It. Which is hilarious to think about now because who would choose that when you get 10 minutes to teach a sermon on the Holy Spirit? I'm taking 12 weeks this fall just to teach on the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I think 10 minutes is good enough. I think I have enough time. Uh, and here's a picture of that night. Now you can put it on the screen. Buzz cut, Brian, black suit and tie. We got acne out of this world. It was a great time. Uh, and <laughs> uh, you're welcome for this image, by the way. Uh, I would never show it to anyone else. And if it wasn't on my mom's Facebook, I would delete it permanently. But uh, I, somehow it would mysteriously disappear. Uh, and I, now the reality is I can't remember what the order was of the preachers that night. Um, I may have been the first one. I may have been the middle one or the last one. But I remember those 10 minutes, they flew by so fast. And my message on the Holy Spirit was probably one of our, the worst message I'd ever given, I'm sure. And, uh, but it's not the message that's my point tonight. It's what happened after this moment. And so after the service was over, all three of us men who had preached that night were hanging out kind of in the sanctuary with some of our family and some of our church, church friends. And I still vividly remember this to this day. Uh, I'm hanging out on the east side of the sanctuary and I see our pastor coming up uh, after spending some time kind of at the back door, sending people off. What is like the typical Baptist preacher, hey, we'll see you next week. Uh, and uh, now my pastor, so his name was Charles Payne. And Charles Payne, he was known as, in my hometown, as Cleburne's pastor. He had been there for over 30 years at this point. Uh, a, a, uh, a stalwart in my Christian life. And at that moment, I was like, this is like the closest thing to meeting Jesus or having Jesus come speak to me, even though I'd had multiple conversations with him. Um, but he was making kind of a beeline straight to me and I still remember it. And he comes up to me and he says, Brian, I wanna, I wanna talk to you for a minute. And he pulls me over to the side. And, uh, and I had no idea what to expect at this moment. I was like, oh no. Uh, but he looks at me straight in the eyes and he says, Brian, you have a gift. You have a gift. Don't forget that. And I want, to know, I want you to know this, Brian, that Jesus wants to use it. And, and he walked away. So I, I remember being this shy, introverted kid, terrified about ministry, terrified of this moment. And I think it was the first time I believed Jesus could use me. It's, it's like he was the Holy Spirit speaking to me in that moment, affirming me in my calling. And he didn't know how much I needed that in that moment. 
And the reality is I needed affirmation from Jesus at, up to that point that this calling on me, that this gift he had given me was actually true. That it wasn't a fairy tale to me that I'd, I'd made a bad decision. And so I share that tonight to kick off kind of our uh, short time together because all of us need that kind of moment in our calling and mission. Everybody needs that kind of moment. Now, it doesn't have to bring you to tears on a stage, but everybody needs that kind of moment uh, where someone comes alongside of you and speaks life into God's mission and calling on your life. And that's my hope tonight. And, and uh, with that in mind, if you have your Bibles, we're not gonna have any, anything on the screen. You're gonna have to already kind of set the stage. And I was like, I think we're just gonna do that all weekend. No, no, no slides other than some fun pictures. Uh, that you can ask for later. But we're gonna be in 2 Timothy. Uh, we'll be looking at a couple verses in chapter one. So we're, we're gonna move around a little bit tonight. It's a little bit different than Brian just picking a passage and walking through it for 35 minutes. But um, when you get to 2 Timothy 1, say, I got it. And, we'll, and I'll know we're ready to go. Beautiful. If you got to 1 Timothy, let's keep moving a little bit forward. Uh, so here it is. We're gonna begin, we're gonna begin in verse six. Uh, and this is what God's word says. It says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so just a little bit of context in the second Timothy. This is Paul's final letter. He is in prison at Rome up to this point, And he is about to be martyred for his faith in Jesus. And he's like, I want to pen one last letter. And Timothy, he played a dear role in, in Paul's life, in Paul's ministry. Uh, a disciple that Paul clearly loved. A disciple that Paul clearly had a big influence in his life and in his ministry and in his discipleship to Jesus. And, and in his final words, presumably to this young pastor, Timothy, Paul wants to affirm the call. And he wants to call out the gifts that Timothy has to be an effective minister of the gospel. He's like, I got one more opportunity to speak to you, Timothy. I wanna speak affirmation and life into your call in ministry. And I wanna remind you of that. And Paul, he played the role for Timothy that Pastor Charles Payne and a lot of other men in my life played in my life and in my story. And so I wanna in somewhat of a minuscule way play that role in each of your own life and ministry and walks tonight. And so I, uh, I'm, gonna I'm gonna pray for us before we jump into uh, to the rest of tonight's time together. But God, I thank you for uh, your word. Uh, God, that you are not far off. That you are a God who is not only near to your people, but you equip them and empower them. And so, God, as we come before your word, um, I just pray that each of these students would be, um, have the fire of the gift stirred up in them. And Holy Spirit, you have to do it. It is not my words. It is not these illustrations. It's nothing in me. It's your spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I ask you to move with great power. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so tonight's going to break down into a, uh, a few encouragements that I hope, hope that uh, to give to each of you to live out in your calling, in your own personal calling, your own personal ministry that God's given you, but to do it with, with joy, hope, and vigor. 
and to affirm you in your role and in your place in God's mission and, 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 and desire and his grand plan of redemption for the cosmos that he's invited each and every one of you into. Every single one of us has a role to play in this mission. So to, to quote unquote, I want to fan into flame the gift, the calling, the ministry of God that he's called each of you into, specifically um, in your own gifts, your own desires. I want to fan that into flame. That, that word in the Greek that, that, first, that 2 Timothy uses, it's meant to be keep the flame going. It's not like the fire had died in Timothy and, and Paul was trying to reinvigorate it. He was trying to stoke it and, and build it bigger. He was trying to keep it going. And so that's my desire tonight is to build that fire and to fan it into flame. Because the reality is I, my original desire was to come up here tonight and kind of give you a vision for the mission of God. That was my original message um, that he's called each of us into as his disciples. Um, but as, as I began to work on these messages or, and I began to pray, this is where I felt the spirit wanted us to go. Because I felt like I've done a lot of teaching and you've probably heard a lot of teaching on God's heart for the nations or God's mission for the world and your, your role in it. And so I felt maybe tonight instead of a mission or a theology of mission, man, I just want you to feel emboldened, affirmed and encouraged and exhorted in each of your own specific calling and ministry and to remind you that you have a role to play. And so if I were to put kind of a sentence or a vision statement for tonight, it would be this. Um, you have a gift and calling to participate in God's mission. Therefore, cultivate and use it. You have a gift and calling to participate in God's mission. Therefore, cultivate and use it. So with, with that kind of vision statement or mission statement or thesis statement for tonight, uh, let's jump in. And tonight, it's, as a typical Brian fashion, I'm gonna ask questions and then I'm gonna answer them. And that's gonna be our points. And so here's the questions for tonight. What is Jesus's mission? What is the specific mission Jesus has called you into and empowered you for? Again, I'll repeat all these later. Um, and then how to fan into flame your ministry. How to fan into flame your ministry. So that's my hope tonight is those three questions. We'll quickly walk through them. And I hope it, it begins to uh, be something we build on throughout the rest of the spring. But first question is this, what is Jesus's mission? So this will be a pretty quick one, but it is a big question though. It's a big question. If Jesus has a mission, I think we should know it and we should care about it and get it right. And I could have, as I mentioned earlier, spent the whole session tonight just on this, on this point and answer this question. Um, but the reality is I didn't feel like that's where Jesus wanted us. But I do want to kind of bring some clarity, align us, so to say, on this, on this vision and mission Jesus has. Um, and so there's a couple of places throughout the Bible that Jesus is pretty blatantly clear on what his mission is, his vision for the world is. And so we're going to jump around in a couple of those. So turn with me first to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. We're going to uh, see a little bit. We're going to get a, a peep into the heart that fueled Jesus's vision or Jesus's mission. We're gonna get a little glimpse into what kind of fueled Jesus's heart for mission or what led him into it. Um, we'll be looking at a few verses, a few of the last verses, beginning in verse 35 of Matthew 9. Um, and this is what Matthew says. He says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That's a, 
a summary of the mission of Jesus right there. So that's not the point of, of this, uh, this answering this question, but that's what Jesus did. Matthew's giving kind of an overarching, this is the, what Jesus' public ministry, quote unquote, looked like, but what, I, what we're gonna get into is what's next. But at verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. So it's smack dab in the middle of Jesus' public ministry. He has just in this chapter, in Matthew, just in this chapter, Matthew 9 alone, healed the paralytic. He called the new disciple to himself, Matthew, out of the tax booth. Had a theological debate with Pharisees about fasting. Healed many others. He even casted out a demon, all in the first 34 verses of this chapter. So you could say this is a, a, a summary chapter of the mission and, and ministry of Jesus, if we were to highlight it. But in the end of this chapter, we get a glimpse, just a tiny glimpse, into the heart of Jesus that motivated and fueled him. But not just that, we get a glimpse into Jesus' desire for his people in light of, of what he sees. And so Jesus is said, he, he looks at the crowd. He looks at the crowd. So Jesus was pretty, pretty blatantly famous. Thousands of people would, would come around to listen to him or to be healed by him. Uh, Mark, that's what one of Mark's main themes in his, his, his uh, work of the gospel is, is to highlight the, the, the kind of popularity Jesus had. Uh, but there's no telling of the amount of people who Jesus would have had coming up to him in this moment that he sees. But in this moment, he sees these people's both their physical, but mainly their spiritual state. So he sees their physical ailments. He sees their physical diseases, but he mainly is noticing their spiritual state, their spiritual need. And what does it do? It stirs up compassion in Jesus. That word compassion in the Greek, it, it, it more follows along the line of pity. Jesus pities, a pity that, that would motivate Jesus' life and ministry. And, and no doubt, it motivated the, the reason why he would embrace the crucifixion and suffer for the penalty and weight of our sin on himself. It was uh, his pity that led him to do that. It's what motivated him. It's what got him out of bed in the morning. And so uh, it's not primarily his compassion that I wanna focus on here. It's what Jesus says after that. So he reveals the need and then he calls us to respond to it. Look, look at it with me again in verse 37. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. That's the need. And then what do you do for it? 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest, of, the harvest is what? So what is the harvest based on this text? You can say it. Plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. And, he, and here's the need. The, the laborers are few to actually work in that harvest. So Jesus is saying, yes, the need is that the harvest is plentiful, but the greater need is there's not actually la enough laborers to work in the harvest. And so not only were these people spiritually lost and broken in desperate need for transformative grace and mercy, but the laborers needed to engage them weren't enough. They were few. And that's, this reality is still true today. This need is still great. Just look at your own college campus or specifically the University of Tennessee. It has almost 30,000 students. A recent study showed that only 1,500 to 2,000 of them are engaged in regular Christian activity. So 28,000 being generous. 
It's probably more than that. They are following false shepherds. They, they think that a myriad of things are what they're gonna, is what's gonna bring them joy and rest and peace, but they actually don't. As Matthew hit on last night, Matthew, or Haggai 1.6, it says that you have uh, this sack that you throw, everything, you throw your money in, but it actually has a hole in the bottom, so it doesn't keep your money. It actually slowly evaporates it. So the, the reality is, is that the world needs more labors, but what are we to do? Yes, first we pray. We pray earnestly. But I wanna focus on what happens after these disciples decide to pray. Look, at, look with me at the next chapter, the beginning of chapter 10. So first he calls his disciples to himself for instruction. And then in verse five, what does Jesus do? The beginning of verse five says this. These 12 Jesus sent out. Jesus sent out 12. These men were the answer to their own prayer. They were their own, the, 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 the answer to their own prayer for laborers. They were the answer. So yes, our role is to be persistent people in prayer for the needy and broken and the lost, but we're also meant to be the answer to that prayer for laborers and, and for uh, this plentiful harvest. So Jesus, he expects his disciples not just to pray for the mission, but also engage in it. So look at another passage of Matthew. Uh, this is probably one you've heard a myriad of times, Matthew 28. Uh, will be in verse uh, 18 to 20. So Jesus has, at, at this point, he's been crucified and he's resurrected from the dead. And this is his kind of final instruction to his disciples. Those who say that they follow him. So this is for us too. It's not just for these original uh, few hundred that were following Jesus still at this moment. But Jesus would say, um, you're following not only as, as, as your savior, but I'm also your Lord now. And this is what he says. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So he could have said anything after that point and we had been liable to obey it. He could have said anything after that and we would have been liable to obey. But this is what he says, not verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus, he, first he proclaims his authority but then he gives us our final instruction as his disciples to go and what? Make disciples. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, that is your primary mission. And it's not an option for you. It's, the, it's kind of the bare minimum to be a disciple. You're, you're meant to be a disciple yourself and then go participate in the mission of making them. Now that can look a, a varying different ways. It may look different than what I do than what Spencer does. Spencer makes disciples through a different gift than I have. And there's some of y'all who might work, uh, I can think of people who work at Thrive. That's a different mission than what I do, but it's, 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 fee, it's accomplishing the same mission, but in different ways. So don't hear that it has to be a pastor who, who's leading a discipleship group of 12 people and then that's how we do it. No, it looks different, that, and I'll hit on that later. But I want you to know, that's kind of the bare minimum. That's the expectation which leads to our second question. So what is the specific mission Jesus has called you into and empowered you for? So not only has he called you into it, so Jesus, he'll call you, but he'll also empower you for what he calls you into. He'll equip you with what you need to accomplish it. So turn with me. We'll be in Ephesians 4. We'll, we'll read a couple of verses of Ephesians 4. Another, another passage that you might be familiar with, but if you're not, it's okay. 
uh, we'll be reading beginning in verse 11 of Ephesians 4. It says this, and he, uh, Jesus, gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So I use this text to highlight the point that not everyone has the same ministry, though they have the same mission. Some, some Jesus equips for evangelism. Some he calls as shepherds. Some he, he, he makes teachers. Um, regardless, all for the sake of the same mission, to build up the church, to build up the bride. And so each of you have a particular calling in ministry or ministry that Jesus has called you into with the specific gift to be cultivated for the sake of making Jesus known and for the building up of the body. So each of you have a, a particular calling, a particular ministry, a, uh, a, a, a particular gift that Jesus has given you. Now, you could have plural gifts. Uh, I don't believe there's just one that you have. Um, but that's another sermon for another day. But anyways, Jesus, he, he, he calls you to a specific ministry. He equips you for that ministry. And then he gifts you for that ministry. All for the sake of making Jesus known to the lost and then building up the body, the, those who are disciples. So this also doesn't mean you have to be, I wanna, this is kind of a caveat. I feel like you should know this implicitly, but I'm gonna say it explicitly. It doesn't mean you have to be in full-time ministry to be effective in God's mission. Some of the most effective disciple makers that I've ever met in my life were not full-time ministers. There's, there's a few I've met in this church since being here. And so the vast majority of you, you will go into the workforce and have a quote-unquote normal job. But your mission is the same as mine as a pastor. It's no different. It may just look a little different. And so to answer this question of like, what ministry has God given you? I'm gonna ask you a few questions. What desires has the spirit put within you? What passions has he given you? What passions for either reaching the loss or building up the body has Jesus bestowed upon you? What are some of the spiritual gifts that have been granted to you for the sake of making Jesus known and knowing him yourself? Because I'm here to say that it's those passions and those desires and those gifts have been given to you by the Spirit to leverage for the sake of the mission of Jesus. So therefore, you personally to commune with Jesus and to know him personally, but also to leverage for the sake of making Jesus known, but then also building up the body. And so maybe it's the ability to play an instrument or to sing, leverage that. Use that to bring men and women to the presence of Jesus through worship. We just experienced it. Maybe it's the gift of teaching. Use that to help men and women better grasp the truths of God's word, to better know and love Jesus. Maybe it's a desire to serve the poor, less privilege in our community. Engage with it. Use it. Maybe it's a desire, maybe for medical missions, Leverage that in your off time. Use your summers to go and do that. Maybe you have a gift of discipleship, a gift that helps Christians take steps with Jesus. Get you some disciples and help them follow Jesus. What's the, what is that passion or that calling for you? What gifts has Jesus bestowed upon you? If you don't know, then you need to begin to, to serve in your gospel community to begin to have the Spirit reveal them to you. But that's, uh, not just to you. So here's a small little nugget. Or I say this every time I talk about spiritual gifts because I feel like we need to know it. How you discern your spiritual gift is in the context of community and mission, not an online test. 
as you seek to serve in your community and in God's mission, God will begin to make it clear to not only you, but to those around you, what your gift is, and they will affirm you in it. So if you don't know your gift, start participating. Start trying different things. I could think of Grant Crenshaw on the back. Never done tech in his life. Spencer, a couple years ago, asked him, I want you to start doing tech for high school ministry. And then what do we know? A gift was, was made evident, not just to Grant, but also this church and to the worship and tech department where he now serves. It's like we wouldn't have known that if he wasn't participating. And so uh, begin to do that and see what the Spirit reveals, not just to you personally, but to those around you, and they affirm you in it. And so 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, he makes it clear that the body of Christ is one body, but with many members. We've heard, we've, you've probably heard that text if you've grown up in church. Each of which of these members have their own role in the process of building up the body and engaging in the body's mission. Each of them have their own role. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in, in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing and helping administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? He's asking a, a rhetorical question. No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire these higher gifts. Again, we could have a message on the spiritual gifts. We will in the fall. We're going to have three weeks on it. So that's not the point that I'm trying to make with this text. The point I'm trying to make with this text is um, if you're not operating in your gift and in your ministry in the church, the church is being affected, affected negatively. Your community is being affected negatively if you're not living, in, living out your gift. The church needs you operating in your calling and in your gift, playing your role for her to flourish. Fan that into flame. Which leads me to my final question, how do we? How to fan into flame your ministry? So how to fan into flame your ministry? Let's go back to our passage in 2 Timothy of chapter one beginning at verse six, again. So for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, which could be a sermon on its own. Verse seven, for God gave us a, a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So how do we do this? I have six, <laughs> that's funny to say, six quick applications or encouragements for you that I hope will do just that. So first, remember your salvation. So first, remember your salvation. Look at verse five of 2 Timothy verse one. Because Paul, he does just that. He says this, I am reminded of your, Timothy, sincere faith. Genuine faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul reminds Timothy of his faith in Jesus as he begins his final encouragements, his final exhortations for his young disciple. Because all that we do in our walks with Jesus should be in response to the gospel. In other words, we should be motivated by grace in all that we do in the Christian life. Every single aspect of it. So just think of Paul's words in his first letter to Timothy in, uh, in, in chapter 115, I'll read it for us. It says this, so this is Paul, he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But 
I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. For this reason, I receive mercy. So if there's anything that Paul was convinced of or motivated by for his ministry, it was Jesus's extravagant grace towards him. He says in 2 Corinthians 5 that for the love of Christ controls him. He does what he does. He lives as an ambassador for Jesus because of the gospel. It just controls him. So do you make it a regular rhythm to remember the gospel of Jesus' grace towards you? A regular rhythm in your life. That as 2 Corinthians 5, 21 declares to us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the gospel, it's the heartbeat of formation and it's the heartbeat of mission. So first, remember your salvation. Secondly, remember your calling. Remember your calling. In seminary, my pastoral ministry professor, he would say it in every class, uh, he would reiterate it over and over that what keeps you going in ministry is your calling. Therefore, you need to be sure of it. So what sustains you when ministry and life get difficult is the reality that Jesus called you into it. And that's enough. And, and I think it's true. I can just think of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, when he sees God's miraculous calling of him that I'm sure filled him for a, a, a hard ministry. Talk about a guy who had a rough ministry. It was Jeremiah, a ministry that led him to be called the weeping prophet. Because the truth is, if you begin to participate in Jesus's mission, you'll learn fast just how difficult it is. And it's in those moments you need to be convinced convinced of Jesus' calling on you. So that's the second thing, remember your calling. Thirdly, remember your identity. Remember your identity. You need to be sure uh, of whose you are. It's the same for those who want to be serious about spiritual formation, though. You need to nail down what your heavenly Father declares about you. You need to know that. Rest in that. Cling to that. You are new. You are his child. He delights in you. He longs to use you. He is actually for you. Uh, you're his ambassador. His love is set on you regardless of how successful you are. How awesome you're doing in life and ministry and sanctification and all those words we love to use. You need to remember Matthew 3.17. And when, when, when God's audible voice came from heaven on Jesus' baptism and said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Because what it means to be united to Jesus, as, as Paul says in Colossians uh, 3, that our life is now hidden with Christ in God, it means that what's true about Jesus is true about you. So Matthew 3.17 is about you and Jesus. But you can cling to that as your identity as well. So remember that. You need to be reminded of who you are if you're gonna, if you're gonna be able to last and even be uh, fanned into flame in ministry. So next, remember who is with you. So remember who is with you. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 28 that he is with us always in our mission to make disciples. And he said, I'm with you to the end. My spirit is with you. My spirit is within you. Sometimes we get into the grind of ministry and mission and even me, I forget that. So therefore I operate out of the fear of man or out of rejection. You can name it. The truth is, this, the truth is, is that the same spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry throughout his ministry and life is the same spirit that dwells in you. 
Romans 8, 11 makes it clear to us. It says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul in our passage tonight wanted Timothy to rest in the truth that the spirit um, was alive and working in him. That spirit was able to empower him and equip him for his calling and ministry. He wanted him to know that. And I want you to rest in that truth too. Don't neglect the ministry and calling Jesus has for you out of a fear of maybe inadequacy, a fear of re rejection, because you know you're gonna be rejected a lot if you do this. Uh, the unknown, maybe. You can, you can name the fear. I'm sure there's plenty of them in this room. And all of you, um, all that you need to know or all that you need uh, for godliness and ministry is the spirit that is at work in you. That's all you need. Obviously, you need those around you, you need community, you need scripture, some of those spiritual practices, but the spirit, those are all avenues to receiving the power of the spirit. They're not the means to the end. They are just a channel that operates, that allows the spirit to work in you. And so the truth is his spirit is in you, Jesus is with you, and you just believe that. And then you operate. So ne and then next, remember your, your new family. So remember your family. I, I put this point in here because I think if you, if you really begin to live your life in light of Jesus' calling and mission on you, you're gonna, you're gonna see really quick how much you need the family of God. There have been times, many times in my ministry grind and in seasons of discouragement that God has used the words, a text, a phone call from my brothers and sisters in Christ to exhort me to remind me of God's love for me, his delight in me, and his calling over me. All the time. I've received those all the time. And God uses those. You know what, what encourage actually means? It means to put courage within someone. And that's what uh, a phone call or a text or a, a conversation with a brother and sister where they encourage you, that's what it does. It, it puts courage within you. Um, in light of not uh, just what's going on around you, but it begins to remind you of these things I've been hitting on. Your, your, the gospel reminds you of the character of God, reminds you of your identity in Jesus and his calling over you. So you need that. So if you're going to live on mission, you need, you need God's people around you. That's why community and mission go hand in hand. You need community that you can come back to to fill you, to fill you up as you empty yourself out. Do you have that? And then the last one would be embrace faithfulness. Embrace faithfulness. And so as formed, it comes to an end. Uh, I just wanna remind, remind you of your role, the opportunity that you have to participate. Um, not only your role in God's mission, but also your role in the pursuit of spiritual formation as we close this whole, this whole retreat's been about spiritual formation. And the thing I wanna encourage you is your role, the only role you have is to embrace and pursue faithfulness. That's the only role you play in this. I said this this past Monday night. You have zero power in and of yourself for ministry success or even spiritual growth. Or at least real ministry success. I think some people can, can build a ministry really, really well based off some gifts um, and, and operate out of those gifts, but it's not, it's not healthy ministry success. The only, the only truth is that you are merely called to, as the psalmist in Psalm 37 says, befriend faithfulness. Befriend it. Just show up. Day in and day out, do your job. 
and entrust the results to the king of heaven who has all the power. And, he's, and he, longs to do, uh, he longs to accomplish his mission a lot more than we do. And the truth is, is God, he could do it with or without us. He says, out of the rocks, I could raise up worshipers. But the, the good news is, is that we have, it's an opportunity we have. It's a, it's a joy we have to partner with him. He invites us into it. What a privilege that is. We get to participate with God in bringing restoration to the world, but also helping, also in this process of forming ourselves more to the image of Jesus. And so as I close, I'll welcome up Spencer. I hope this weekend has been both empowering to you in your walk with Jesus and in, in your formation to Jesus, but also I hope that you leave a little bit more equipped than when you, when you walked in 24 hours ago. Now, you can't learn all that you need to know about discipleship and formation and mission and community in 24 hours. That's just crazy. So Abby and I don't expect you to leave this, leave this place experts in mission and discipleship and community and all those words. We know life with Jesus, if there's one adjective for it, it would be this, it's messy. We know that our discipleship to Jesus, mine included, is messy. But this, this work that we're participating in, this formation and mission, Jesus, like I said just a few seconds ago, is far more committed to bringing it, bringing it about than we are. And he's promised that he's gonna bring it to completion. He's told us he is. All that we need to do is, is play our role to participate. And how freeing is that? That frees you up. You just play your role. And I'll close with one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. It's a, the doxology in Jude 1. I don't know why we call it Jude 1. There's only one chapter. But <laughs> Jude 24, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and this is what uh, this brother says. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. He is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. He is the one to present you blameless before his presence. Whether it's your personal formation or your mission, Jesus, he is more than able to accomplish what you long for him to do. And so if that's the way we wanna close this thing out, that's the way we're gonna do it. Uh, I'm gonna pray for us and then Spencer will lead us for a few more moments. But Father, I thank you for this time that we could come and we could sit at your feet and listen to you. And so, Father, I pray for each of these students that they would leave with greater confidence, not in themselves, but in the power of your Spirit at work in them. And oftentimes, you call us to operate out of our weakness so that your strength be made manifest in us. And so, Father, I pray that each of them would, would leave here with a little bit uh, more clarity on, on where they're at with you. They could um, consider their, the, the, their ways as we learned last night from RD. They would leave with a little bit more clarity on that. They'd also leave a little bit more clarity about the necessity of the quiet place, the secret place, as Devin shared with us this morning. And even tonight, that they would leave with greater confidence in the mission and calling that you have for them and your desire to use them. And Father, I just pray that they would cling to the promise that the work that you began in them, you will be the one that brings it to completion. And you'll do it any way you have to. And so Father, um, continue that work in us. Help us be better participants in it. We would be enablers of, enablers of your spirit. We wouldn't quench it. 
And Father, that by the end of this, we would, we would, um, we would see many around us affected because of it. And so Jesus, we know you have to do it and we're just called to be faithful. So we, we ask that we would be in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?